0: Welcome to the Michigan Minds podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. My name is Emily Martin, and I'm an associate professor of epidemiology at the School of Public Health. So in the spring and in the summer, I spent a lot of time with a lot of colleagues from around campus on a public health committee, just put together a suite of recommendations about how if we were to go ahead with um, a fall semester that involved having students on campus, what the best practices would be around doing that. Now that we're getting closer to the semester actually starting, I'm a member of the Campus Health Response Committee. So this is a committee that is in charge of just watching Eyes on the ground, what's going on, providing recommendations, helping campus get geared up and ready to take care of the students when they get here. you know, in the early days, once we knew that we were going to have to start thinking about um, the best practices for campus, we spent a lot of time reviewing best practices from around the country, talking to experts, um, talking to colleagues in other universities. I worked closely with the CDC in my research role before all of this happened. And so we had a lot of colleagues at CDC we were able to pull information from and just get their insight. And uh, we were able to collect the all the data from the situation that was as it was moving. Moving and changing to come up with our recommendations. The other thing is, you know, because University of Michigan has been such a, a key partner in this close relationship with the state in helping to watch the state's data, we have a really good sense of what's going on in our region and what's going on in the state because we help we help to watch that in partnership with the state. And so we're keeping um, a very good eye on the community around us and, the, and the, any sort of signals that we might be seeing in the data there. I think one good example of how we've used data to drive decision-making would be uh, thinking around face coverings. So when this process first started, the data was pointing towards, um, there was a lot of uncertainty about what it was gonna, whether it could really prevent transmission, where you should be using masks. There's also coupled with this sense that we really wanted to prioritize medical grade masks for healthcare workers. As we learn more, you know, we were able to incorporate new research, new findings, new recommendations, and our recommendations in real time as things shifted and changed. And I think it's a really compelling example of the fact that you know, because we've got all of these great minds across campus watching all the signals, watching all of the data, watching new research coming out, we're able to incorporate best practices as soon as they're around and just implement them and get them right into the recommendations quickly. So I like the idea of a hybrid approach, and what I like about it is that it has the benefit of moving these largest exposure settings, these big classrooms, um, these big groups of students out of an in-person setting and online, but also is giving the flexibility to preserve those educational experiences that need to be in person, particularly those educational experiences that we know that we can do safely. Right. We can do it with distancing, we can do it with masking, we can do it with smaller groups safely. Because there's a lot of educational experiences at the university that you know don't lend themselves to a Zoom or an online classroom. And so this helps provide the flexibility so that units can get the best um, experience delivered to the students. I'm a big believer in access to education being an important part of equity. And so the hybrid approach allows us to continue to meet the needs of students and support the students in their educational journey, the best way to do that and also to be flexible as the situation on the ground changes. Um, As we have you know more tools to prevent transmission, you know, maybe we can do more stuff in person. If we unfortunately in the in the community or in the state or in the country have more transmission, we can pull things back in a flexible way. And so I like that from a preparedness standpoint as well. So we at the School of Public Health and other partners on campus already spend a lot of time monitoring data from across the country, monitoring data from the state, from our region, even from our county and our city. And we work really closely with partners, both at the state public health department, but then also the local public health department in the counties, in the counties where all of our campuses are located. So that monitoring is gonna continue and that happens throughout the day, every day. We always have people looking at that data what we're going to be doing at a um, and what people can expect to see at a larger level is um, more and more monitoring about what 's going on in campus and so that 's both things like how many people are being tested and how many people are coming back positive, but also things that are important to keep in mind like what is our capacity to respond and care for students. Um, What is our capacity to use uh, quarantine housing or supported isolation housing that students might need um, to go to if they're symptomatic and we're concerned about transmitting to other people? Uh, We're also gonna be looking at things like not only how much testing is happening, but what's the turnaround time for testing and how long is it taking for people to get answers to their infections? Because that's something that helps us understand what is our toolbox for controlling disease and how well is the toolbox working? So we'll watch that too. There have been some announcements lately about symptom apps, and these are similar to, I think, you know, we've seen on a national scale, people get surveys and apps and alerts and play with this kind of data all the time. But we know that uh, tracking symptoms is actually a great way for you to be mindful every day. How am I feeling today? Remember, I should not be going out in public if I'm symptomatic. But it's also a really useful public health tool to get early warning flags in terms of where and when we might have simply numbers of sick people growing in the community. And and so that's another thing that we're gonna be watching throughout the year. So campus life is gonna feel different and it's gonna feel different because of distancing and spacing. Um, so much of my undergraduate University of Michigan experience, I remember being in a large crowd, either being you know, in a large group of students having fun or at a football game or even you know, in a biology class. And that experience is gonna be different this year. And there's, it's just what we need to do to keep everybody safe, is we have to keep those distances between people and we have to um, change the way that we think about being together in public spaces to think about doing that in smaller groups of people, in distance groups of people, and think about your pod, you know, and, and not really crossing pods or being in big mega groups of people. The other thing is that we're gonna quickly get used to seeing everybody in a mask and masks work and we are confident that that's the right thing to do to have a universal masking policy on campus or face coverings, um, have that be universally adopted. And that's Visually, it's going to be different. It's going to feel different than it was. Um, I, I'm, I'm still learning to recognize people using the top half of their face versus the bottom half of their face in, in my own world. And so that's going to feel very different from a campus climate. But, you know, we're in a similar situation to a lot of campuses across the country or are gonna go through the same sort of transition. You know, you don't go outside in the the dead of winter without your gloves and your hat in Michigan, and we're not gonna go outside in a pandemic without your mask either and you know we're going to get used to social distancing and being in public spaces in different ways. The other thing is that I mean, dining halls are going to feel different than they were before. A lot more takeout or, or um, order pickup or reservations for dining halls. I think those procedures are going to feel different for students compared to what has been happening in the past. Uh, we're going to see, you know, more more room on buses, more room in public spaces when you're around and moving through campus buildings. The other thing that uh, I have mentioned this earlier, but uh, we're going to hope students really universally adopt is the use of symptom symptom apps. These are similar to symptom apps that you know I've got four of them on my phone right now that ping me and ask me what my symptoms are today, and it's it's a way for us to both give a good sense of what's going on on the ground, but it also helps me be mindful about my own health and every day. And so, you know, what we don't want is for someone to, to go to class or to go to an event and get half of the event and be like, I actually don't feel great today. And, and this is a way to add that mindfulness to our morning every day about how are we feeling and are we really um, in a state of health where we should be leaving, leaving our house. That's something that students are gonna have to get used to too. So there's two benefits to having a fully remote experience after Thanksgiving break. The first is that the more students come and go from campus, the more we're reseeding virus into our community. And so um, that uh, big Thanksgiving event, we have either the choice of asking people not to go off campus and and have the whole community disperse and have exposures all, all over the place in different places, Versus, go ahead and disperse, but then um, go to a remote experience at that point. The other, but you know, the other thing that happens after Thanksgiving that's important to to keep in mind is then we're moving into December, which is cold and flu season, and we still, uh, it's it's we're not going to be able to predict until it happens what we're going to be looking at when we've got COVID and flu happening at the same time. And so you know, it's actually not uncommon for us to see influenza activity on campus after the Thanksgiving break uh, because you've got students moving around the country. And so um, this is a way to have kind of an increased level of, of mitigation and protection as we're navigating this environment of a potential, um, potential circulation of influenza and other respiratory viruses layered on top of COVID. I'm actually not teaching any courses this semester. My uh, involvement with the university is going to be both, you know, continuing my research, but because I'm doing so much to help the university monitor data and keep keep everything running and to keep people safe, that uh, my focus is going to be there instead of in the classroom, which Uh, It makes me a little bit sad because what I was supposed to be teaching this semester was virology, uh, which is a hot topic right now, but uh, there's a a lot of pandemic work to be done at the moment. I'm just continually in awe of my colleagues who are going through everything that this pandemic has thrown at them uh, and having to convert their classes to a hybrid approach um, and mostly in a lot of cases with young children running around in between their feet while they're doing it, it's just been an an amazing effort across the community and across the campus to try to, to, you know, get classes in a safer space. And I I think that flexibility is going to be the name of the game going into the fall. I think we're going to have to think about um, being versatile and flexible because We're going to have to respond to factors that are outside of our control in our communities and our states. And it's a lot of work now, but I think when the semester comes, we'll be really glad that we've done this transition. So we have a good sense now of what things are safer than other things, right? So small groups are better than large groups. Distance is is obviously going to be better than non-distance settings. And we know that outdoor is better than indoor. And so, those gives us some tools to work with. We also know that face coverings seem to be actually making a big difference. And so, we can use tools, especially if you're using multiple tools on that menu to engage with each other. Then that's great. You can you can do that. You know, I've, um, I'll meet other faculty members sometimes on a, on a walk where we're far apart, wearing masks, or uh, you know, an outside an outside meal in somebody's yard, and it's okay to still do things like that. Within the parameters of of what is safe and, and limiting, you know, the numbers of contacts and the distance between us and the contacts. That being said, you know, outdoor gets harder to do in Michigan in a couple of months, as we all know, and You know, when I think about that, I think about the ways in which I'm continually um, inspired by our students and how good they are at using technology in ways that I don't even think about and social media in new ways. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to see what kind of innovative aspects of campus culture emerge from the student body um, as they tackle kind of our our old challenges of educating and learning together. But like in these new ways, I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. So I think that apprehensions and anxieties are completely normal and understandable and to be expected. And I think they can be expected in any plan with whatever whatever is there. I mean, I think that the state of the epidemic in our country as a whole is concerning. And I, I think we need to be honest and transparent and, and honest about our feelings about that. And it's okay to feel that way. I also think that you know the best thing that we can do is to continue as a community to have this conversation to have you talk about our fears and anxieties, but also the tools that we have that are available and keep our our sense that we have tools that are grounded in public health evidence that we can use to keep people safe you know we we know what works uh, and we can continue to apply those tools to you know, to campus and to, you know, for people that are working on campus and, and for students that are here um, to try to reduce transmission as much as possible. Yeah, I think we hear a lot about what doesn't work. Uh, big parties don't work at reducing transmission, raves don't work at reducing transmission, but we, we tend to not talk as much publicly about what does work, and we have learned a lot about what does work. And so I want everyone to keep in mind that as we hear about useful tools that we're applying them once we find out about them. And I want us all to be committed as a community to, to doing that. You know, I think one thing that I've been impressed by is watching our hospital systems. So these are people that are continually being exposed. To positive patients and have really learned how to drive down infection rates in healthcare workers, which tells us a few things, right? It tells us that PPE works to drive down transmission. So we should use it. You know, we're, we're learning a lot about the positive options to keep people safe, um, even as we learn about things that we don't recommend, like large gatherings of people. And so I, I want to keep that balanced sense in mind with people that, like, we've got tools in our toolbox, we should be using them. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.